0: Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for the truth of your scriptures. Lord, I believe that it has a lot to say for us, especially as we're combating tremendous error in science and theology in our day. And we need to start with your word. You were there when all things were created and man was not. And we need to learn from you. We need to glean truth from you and we need to walk in that truth because the lies of the enemy and misunderstandings of science will only lead us down the wrong road we want truth so father speak truth to us this morning teach us according to your ways and your truth that we would walk in those precepts and follow you as our god and as our creator and all of the implications of that we ask this in jesus precious name amen all right so a story is told of an atheist making a or creating a contest or having a duel with God and he says, God, if if you really exist and I don't think you do, but if you do then I'm going to show you that us men mankind, we have advanced so much we too can create just like you apparently did, we can create. We have the technology and the power. So here's my proposal. We're going to have a duel, God, and we're going to see who can create life. And I'm going to take this dirt, and I am going to form life out of it. And suddenly a voice from heaven says, no, 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 you get your own dirt.
1: (laughs) Oh, that's good.
0: The first thing that I want us to to realize here is as we see this Genesis account of uh, of chapters 1 and 2 of God's creation, and we're going to really delve into chapter (coughs) 1 and its implications. Thank you, bro.
1: Um,
0: We also need to realize that the Trinity was present there in creation. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was formless and empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now <clears throat> we also read now segueing to John chapter 1 in the beginning of was the Word, and John mirrors Genesis 1-1. John 1-1 mirrors Genesis 1-1. In the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. <coughs> then it goes on, and in verse 2, it says, He was with God from the, in the beginning, And then it says, through him, all things were made. That is, through the word, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it, or has not overcome it. The Greek word can be translated either way. This is a profound statement because John is introducing us to Jesus himself, Because he's wanting to show us or teach us the gospel of Jesus. To do this, we need to understand who Jesus is. Jesus is the word. He is just like like a word is the verbal expression of a thought. Even so, Jesus is the exact representation of God the Father. And there is only one way in which you can be an exact... Representation, And I'm taking that phrase from Hebrews chapter 1, exact representation. Colossians 1, image of God, is by being God himself. That is the only way that Jesus can be the exact representation. Okay? Because I think we all understand the word exact. Now, that way, the word that is the perfect representation of the thought, the word, it says in verse 14 of John 1, became flesh. But Jesus is this creator. All things through Jesus was created. So the Father created all things through his son Jesus. So when we're reading in the beginning, God created, we need to see Jesus. The Spirit of God is hovering over the waters, much as a hen will hover over her eggs and incubate them. And even so, we see the operation of God through the Spirit incubating over the waters because right now the waters covered the face of the earth. All If we were there and we had a view of creation, what we would see is a ball of water. Now, obviously there's land, earth underneath, but you don't see that. It's covered with water. Um, and so... The Father creates through His Son by, apparently, by the operation of His Spirit. Now, as we talk about creation, we need to immediately see that God is the Creator and we are His creation. And that there is a creator-creature or creator-creation distinction. Now, that may sound like no big deal to you, but in pantheism... They believe that God is in everything and that everything apparently is God now this Genesis one speaks to that there is a separation between God the creator and what he has created God the creator is all-powerful all-knowing he is other than we are he's the creator and we are the creature and because of this we are now called to worship this creator. And that's the type of relationship we have. Why? Because he has creator rights over us. And this concept of creator rights, or the sovereignty of God, is seen throughout the Bible. Because he is the creator, he has rights over us. We are left speechless before our creator. Everything that he does is right, and it is good, and it truly is loving if we understand loving, because in the con- because love love truly is just. Anyway, I don't want to pursue that. But let's realize that there is a creator creature distinction, and that creator has creator rights over us. And because of Genesis three and man's rebellion against God, God uh, that that. Those creator rights did not dissolve, but now there is a rift in relationship between God's, the, the, the apex of his creation, man, and God himself. And the, what they call the um, Proto-Evangelium, or the first gospel presentation, is in Genesis chapter 3. And we're not going to get into that, but I, I'm wanting to mention it and it's there that it says uh, 315 um, and I will put enmity between you speaking to the serpent and the woman and between your offspring and hers He, who is her offspring? it would be Jesus he, Jesus, will crush your head and you will strike his heel and this happened of course where? At what point in history? At the cross, that's right. So even here in Genesis 3.15, we have a picture of the gospel or the cross in which God was going to mend this rift in relationship between man and God. Why? Because God's main, God is totally sovereign, in control, has creator rights over us, and what he says goes. And because of this, we, our, rebellion, our disobedience constituted rebellion against God. Now, what I'd like to... I'm mentioning this because these are the basics of who is God, who is man, what is our purpose in life. All of these basic philosophical and religious questions are answered in the very beginning of Genesis. If you read any book on philosophy, especially from a Christian perspective, but really any book on philosophy, these are the types of questions and they're usually asked up front. Is there a God? What is man? What is our purpose? And, and, and there is something within man that wants to know his purpose. Isn't it interesting? Apparently from an atheistic perspective, man came about by total chance and accident with no purpose whatsoever whatsoever. And yet the one thing that drives him in life is this sense of purpose. He was apparently came into being with no purpose, but he is consumed with this concept of purpose. And I would say the reason for that is found in Genesis, because he was created in the image of God with design, and design implies destiny or purpose. And so God created man with a purpose, and that purpose is as creation, responding to his creator in worship, service, bringing him glory. Everything about man is focused on his creator. Now, this is important because we live in a day in which that absolutely is not the case. This concept of creator-creature distinction is... Is, uh, runs not only contrary to pantheism it runs contrary to paganism in paganism the sun, the moon, the stars, you name it creation is deified and we worship creation the creature worships the creation and you'll notice that in Genesis 1 and this by the way was even during Moses' day But you'll notice in Genesis 1 that when we come to the fourth day, you do not see the words sun and moon, okay? What you see is the greater light and the lesser light. In my opinion, I think that's to avoid even the the mention of sun and moon where any reader might possibly get confused. Now, God created the greater light and the lesser light. These are not to be worshipped. The greatest sins, such as King Manasseh, was when he would worship the sun, the moon, the stars, sacrifice children to these gods. And um, he, anyways, so it runs contrary to pantheism, runs contrary to paganism, and it actually runs contrary to atheism, which sees ourselves as God. Bottom line, that's what atheism does. We are the apex of everything, and we are God. And Genesis 1, 2, 3, tells us a very different story. We see right there in the very beginning of Genesis 1, we see the creation of time, space, and matter. I I mention these because God created this, and and our reality, our universe, is constituted by those three things. Time, space, and matter. Science is in complete agreement with this. Time in the beginning... Space, God created the heavens. Matter, he created the earth and everything in these. All right? Um, We need to realize that the universe did not come into existence as a result of things like quantum vibrations. The first law of thermodynamics says that nothing can be created or destroyed. Matter... Always is. It cannot suddenly come into being. All right. The um, the the Higgs boson principle that they um, or what they call the God particle that they tested and discovered. uh, Wow, it's really it it really does exist. uh, All that did was it 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 did not conclude matter can come from nothing actually this um this subatomic particle that they saw as it went through the the, the, i believe it's a tube it would it suddenly appeared and disappeared in in less than a millisecond um that, that just tells us that matter has always been and it's uns and they discovered that this god principle so to speak was is unstable Nothing was created. That subatomic particle was not created. Um, Now, if if you want to tell me that something can come from nothing, don't point that that out to me. Tell me about a time in which you suddenly saw a horse appear, alright? And it didn't suddenly disappear. Alright? Tell me about something that truly can come from nothing because this is one, there's two stumbling blocks for science, an atheistic scientist, that he cannot get around, no matter what, number one, something can never come from nothing, okay, matter cannot come from non-matter, okay, Um, and number two, life can never come from non-life, those are the two main stumbling blocks, the creation of the world and the creation of living things. That we see, both of those we see, in Genesis 1. Now, as we look through Genesis 1, I'm going to diagram it, and I want us to see this concept of of how this chapter hangs together and um, it forms a very symmetrical structure. But here's what I want to say before we get into this because this has a symmetrical structure and it's clear that we are to understand it this way I'm not imposing this structure on it you will see it but this does not mean that Genesis 1 is poetry and therefore figurative not to be taken literally and therefore we can treat it because it's figurative, we can treat it almost any way that we want, just like we, we would interpret or misinterpret poetry. Okay, There is not that wiggle room that we should see in Genesis 1. God really did do this, and he did it this way with the type of structure that we're going to see up here. It's not just some poetic device to talk about creation, but God did it another way. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because this is what theistic evolution, which is an oxymoron, but the concept is that God created through evolution. Uh, They want to impose that concept of figurativeness or symbolism in chapter 1. Why? Because it reads like poetry. It does not read like poetry. Okay? Uh, Even if you were to read in some of Paul's writings, they have what's called a chiasm, A-B-B-A all right if you study poetry you you may understand that um it's called chiasm because the greek letter chi is an x and a b b a that forms an x so they call it a chiasm that is a poetic device but how many people would treat Paul's letters as poetry it's not it's meant to be taken literally so just because something has structure and very symmetrical structure we need to resist the temptation to say therefore it's poetry that is not the case Okay, you may have heard the concept of parallelism this truly is a major element in Hebrew poetry people try to say, and you'll, you'll see it up here they will say the structure that we're seeing is parallelisms the parallelism or the, the sy- symmetry that you will see here is not Hebrew parallelisms that you see in poetry. We are taking the concept of Hebrew parallelisms and saying this is par- because these run parallel. This is Hebrew parallelisms. That is not the truth. That would not be the case at all. If you were to read a psalm, um, and I, I'm just going to turn to my to the book of Psalms, and I can read almost anywhere, and you will see. Um, okay Um, uh, Psalm 59 I, I just turned to Psalm 59 verse 1 you don't have to turn there but you just listen deliver me from my enemies O God protect me from those who rise up against me line A is saying basically the same thing as line B deliver me from my enemies O God Protect me from those who rise up against me. It's basically saying the same thing. This is called a parallelism. We see see it in the book of Psalms. We see it in much of Hebrew poetry. And this is the main thing that constitutes Hebrew poetry. This is not what we're seeing in Genesis 1. What I'm going to draw up here is not Hebrew parallelism. Just because these are parallel, in our English thinking, that's what constitutes parallel or symmetry. But that's not Hebrew parallelism. Okay? Okay? Parallelism in Hebrew is one line after the other. That is not how Genesis 1 reads. So I'm going to tell you this right up front. Genesis 1 is not Hebrew poetry. We are challenged to take it literally, not symbolically. So let's do this. Let's look at this creation account. Um, And... As we see here in verse one, excuse me, verse two, it says, now the earth was formless and empty, formless and empty. That means it has no form and it there's nothing on it. Those two words are going to be our guide in how God creates days one through three and days four through six. <clears throat> These words are not just words kind of thrown in there to help us with our understanding. They are guides for how God is going to create, all right? They are purposefully chosen. So here's how I'm going to lay this out. In Genesis 1, creation, we're going to see the earth was formless, so we're going to see God forming. It was empty, so was the opposite of emptying something, filling something. So we see the forming and the filling. Day one. What does God form or create on day one?
1: Heaven and the, earth.
0: the heavens and the earth those are said to be formless and empty so now God is going to form the earth and he's going to form the heavens so in day one what does he do to do that? I'm not disagreeing with you yes he did create the heavens and the earth but the first thing that we see what does God do?
1: let there be
0: light okay we see light (laughs) and we we, you're going to see a creating and a dividing with each of these three days so he creates light and then what does he do with that light separates it from from darkness so we're going to see light and darkness. Can I just throw just a, a little side note in here? Many people, when they're arguing ethics, say that if God created all things, then that means he created good, but he also created evil. And I would say God did not create evil any more than God created both light and darkness. When God created the heavens and the earth, does it say that he created the darkness? No. No. It was there. there. Why is darkness there? It's
1: it's It's the absence of light. Absence
0: Absence of light. light. Mm -hmm. Evil is the result of the absence of that which is good. Evil is not created. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: It is thoughts, behavior. Uh, and, and, And when we get into sin sin is more than just even thoughts and behavior but it is that which has been emptied of good okay even as darkness is that which has been emptied of light God created light because of the nature of who God is he creates man good but obviously we come to Genesis 3 and that's no longer the case but God created that which is good because it's an emanation of him I don't want to get into that but he did not create evil, all right? Any more than he created darkness. And by the way, hell, in hell, there is no goodness. It, that's why it is total darkness. there is no light, there is no goodness. And you can only imagine in hell what it must be like with the complete absence of anything that is good. Um, that's a concept that we, we have no clue what it's going to be like, if We except pain, and agony, and everything else that the scriptures speak of concerning hell. But it is the complete absence of that which is good. Yes, Mar- uh, Maria?
1: I have a question. Okay. I had a friend um, back in the old days, a man, and he said um, that whole Big Bang thing that science comes up with, oh, it's the Big Bang. Well, he said something that was really I thought was really cool because he said the Big Bang is God's finger or His light going boom. It's like an ignites. You know, you 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 light a fire, it ignites. It's a light that comes, and it was like a uh, sort of like something that ignited. And He in Christ says, or Jesus or God says, I am. He's always been, and that light. Ignited into the darkness, and that was what he called the finger of God. And he said that it was like the Big Bang. Okay. However, I'm sorry. However,
0: we understand it. The Bible doesn't talk about a Big Bang. The Bible uses things like God stretched out the heavens. Okay. Um, There are scientific implications of this. I, I just want to be careful. I don't want us to be thinking that the concept of the Big Bang is a biblical concept.
1: That's thinks, not what I Okay, and this he, gentleman—he he told me that that whole concept of the Big Bang—they made it into that. But he was saying it. Well, it was not saying that God. Um, it was not that it was the Big Bang, but maybe mm-hmm. it was similar to that. In a right, like God stretching out the heavens. Like us, right, right,
0: exactly. It was like miraculous. Right, right. So, right. yeah, I, I understand what you're saying.
1: Okay. I,
0: I would just want to be careful, and I know this is not what you're saying, but we do want to be careful that, well, because the Bible says God stretched out the heavens, therefore the Big Bang is is correct. No. There's a lot of implications within the theory of the Big Bang, which, by the way, there are recently calling into questions and the only reason why people believe in the big bang is because of what they call the expansion of the universe I, i don't want to pursue that at this time okay so the first day one what we see is god created light and separated the light from the darkness um what does god do on day four by the way what does he create on day four The the, um, I'm sorry. Did you the say eBay? Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <the lesser> <laughs> okay. okay. He uh, he created. Okay, the the greater light and the lesser light. Forgive me. I'm going to put our English word on this, and I'm going to put sun, moon, stars. Okay. He did this on day four. Let's understand that when God created light on day one, he did not do that with the sun, moon, and stars. Even on day three, we're going to get to one of the things that God created, and that's vegetation, and vegetation cannot exist apart from light. Let's realize, though, that this light here is not the sun, moon, and stars. And the question, of course, is asked, well, what is this light that God created? Let I, I just want to extend caution here. This light was not the glory of God. Because God created this light and he did not create his glory. Alright, so I just that's just a caution. God created light, and because there were evening and morning, that light then therefore was not all around the earth. It was in one location. Whatever the whatever constituted that light, we we're just not told here science may one day help us understand what that was, but we don't know it was light, and then from that light he created the sun, moon, and stars but it was in one location or general location so that as the earth rotated it created darkness on one side of the earth and light on the other creating day and night evening and morning were the first day, we're told so, this light is not the glory of God neither is it the sun, moon, and stars it is light Whatever that might be, it was, it was light. Um, day two, what does God create? An expanse. Yeah. Okay. He creates an expanse, and I'm going to word it this way, waters above, and he separates it from what?
1: Below. From the
0: waters below. Okay. And it's the waters below in which we find the sea creatures. So the waters above, some people would say, yeah, that's the canopy theory. There's a canopy of water around the earth. Um, We're not told that that's what this is. That is simply a theory. And in our day, people, and it is not necessarily a Christian theory. Though people suppose that if there's a canopy of water around the earth, that's where the floodwaters came from. That's why it was able to rain for 40 days and 40 nights. There are other better explanations as far as why it rained 40 days and 40 nights that I'm not going to get into right now, um, other than a canopy theory, okay? Canopy theory could also help prevent radiation, allow man to live longer, but that's assuming that radiation is what keeps us from living hundreds and hundreds of years. It probably has more to do with our DNA and the reason why we don't live as long is the breakdown of that DNA and that is scientific. Okay, um, So I, I want to be careful and not climb aboard the canopy theory. Um, e- even though Christians have written books on this, what we are discovering is it doesn't take very th- a very thick layer of water to superheat the Earth's surface because it's easier for light to get in and heat to get in than for heat to get out and you can end up with what they call a runaway greenhouse effect okay in which case the temperatures of the Earth escalate and everything on it dies Um, plus when you look through water I don't care how thick that water is even a foot thick can you see very clearly what's on the other side of that water Um, If you're ever in water and you look up, you cannot see through water very clearly. But we are told that the sun, moon, and stars were put there for what reason? To mark seasons. To mark seasons. That means man could see the stars and he could see them clearly. That tells me that there is no water vapor that's surrounding the earth because man would not be able to see the stars well, at least not until after the flood okay there, there are many scientific reasons for discounting the uh, the canopy theory there are better reasons to help exp- or causes to help explain where that rain during Noah's flood came from okay but we're not going to get into that today so we have the waters above which are probably the the rain okay the uh, the waters above separating from the waters below now um, day three what do we have formed? What's land. formed on day three? Land and Land, okay. Land, we'll just stick with land. And when God has the land appear, where does the water go? Where the land isn't. Thank you, Scott. And how many places is that? One. One place, okay. If the water is in one place, where's the land? One place. The other place, <laughs> which is one place, okay, and so I, I do think that this lines up with what science has theorized, um, and, and not just complete conjecture. There, there's there's scientific reasons for this in what they call Pangea, or I forget the other name that they give to it, but it's one landmass. And I do believe that as a result of the flood, that landmass began to divide. Uh, again I'm not going to get into this but I think we do see that the waters are gathered into one place and there are pockets of water around the earth the land, excuse me, that are called seas if you were to look around huge continents and as there are areas that kind of uh, uh, like this the land can move in like this Okay, we're, we call that a sea, the, the Sea of China the Sea of China technically is still a part of the Pacific Ocean, all right? Mm-hmm. But we call it a sea, all right? So um, it's very fair to call that water seas in the plural. Just because it's in one place does not mean that we can't legitimately call those types of things that I diagrammed up here seas. Do you follow what I'm saying there? So all right. you're saying that there's a single land mass and then there's water. And then there's Water. water that's in the other place, okay? Yes?
1: And I, I don't know, but it, um, they watered the um, plants from the waters that came up. The rain didn't come till later. That's what I heard. Until. Right. What, yeah, the, the Yeah, now, when
0: changing, the rain came, we, we don't know. People, there are people who lean towards this idea that rain did not come until after the flood because that's when there's a rainbow and... When just, it's physics, whenever there's rain, there's a rainbow. Well, technically, wherever there's mist, there can also be a rainbow. Okay? So, I, I want to avoid that type of speculation that there was no rain before the flood. We don't know that. But you're right, in Genesis 2, 4, 5, etc., it does talk about the garden being, uh, watered. And the, it's, the Hebrew word can either be translated mist or streams rain and, came when God created Scotland <laughs> uh, that would happen Scott okay brother North, or or northwest United States I okay. guess so we have land and it is separated from the water and Scott what else was formed on that day plants plants okay vegetation vegetation plants are formed now here's something that's interesting we would almost assume that plants should fall under the filling Category, but it's not placed there. I don't think this was, I don't think it's because we can't be too rigid with this. I think this is purposeful. Plants are part of the forming. And it is given for food. So these two categories of day five and six are going to feed on the plants. And we're told this in Genesis 1. They don't feed off one another. We're never told that animals killed and ate other animals and that man ate animals until after the flood of Genesis 9. And you can look there in Genesis 9. And God says, now I give you the animals to eat. Okay? So it does appear from Scripture that both animals and man, and Genesis 1 does talk about animals eating the plants, it does appear that they were vegetarians until the flood um i think we can be fairly certain that man at least was a vegetarian until the flood so that's why i think plants are placed here and separated from animals and as we get to day five and six there is a term that's used in the hebrew that i'm going to give you here to describe these creations of god Um, and it is translated in many of your Bibles, living creatures. Okay? Let me write that down here. Living creatures. This is the word, Hebrew word, nephesh kaya. Okay? Living creatures. God breathed into man and he became a living creature. Okay? Now, I am not saying that these living creatures are on par with one another. Because it's very clear that man is not when we excuse me, when we get into the lesson on the uniqueness of man, we're going to talk about the image of God and that how God purposely created man very separate distinct from the rest of the animals okay and what evolution would like us to believe is that god did not do this um theistic evolution has a lot of very negative contra-biblical implications um some of which we're going to get into today but not not too many um i need to reserve that for another time so on day five, what do we? What is created? Fish and the birds. Okay, we have the birds, and what do the birds fill? The waters
1: oh, t- above. Okay,
0: and this right here. Sorry, I forgot to put this sky or expanse. The birds fill the expanse, which is separating the waters above from the waters below, and we have the uh, sea creatures. I'm going to avoid using the word "fish" because there is a, a Hebrew word here that escapes me that is probably very well translated "sea dinosaurs" um, or "sea monsters." And let's let's realize that God created the dinosaurs the very uh, the day before He created man, not 65 million years beforehand. And we're going to get into this concept of the literalness of Genesis of the 24 hours uh, days of Genesis 1. But God, I'm going to put sea creatures, sea creatures formed on day5 because they are filling the waters below. So the birds are filling the waters of, excuse me the sky which separates the waters above from those below and then the sea creatures which fill the waters below. Day six, what do we have created? Okay. Eat the cud. So we have land creatures, those things that creepy crawl on the earth, and man. All right? And these, of course, fill the land that God forms and separates from the water on day three. Okay. Yes, Scott. Is the when they when they talk about land creatures, is it the same Hebrew word that would describe sea creatures as possibly like uh, Uh, dinosaurs? No. No. Okay. No, it 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 would be different. Um, though there are certain types like livestock that is different than creatures that move on the ground. Okay. Which could include insects. That could include. Number of other things. Alright, so we see the creation of land land creatures and man on day six, and and I'm hoping with this diagram here you can see the symmetry uh, of of God's creation. Now, because God, God does something orderly, again, let's not conclude that therefore it should not be taken literally. This is literal. Okay, just because God does something very orderly, which is his nature, by the way, does not mean that we should just chalk it up to the creative writing of Moses or whoever may have written this. Okay, that would not be the case. I hope you had a chance to write this all down because I'm erasing it now. All right. Thanks for the heads up. Yep, you bet. Sure, Scott. Order is good. Amen.
1: Order and progress. All right.
0: I want us to now consider. I've got about a well, 25 minutes. I will need to go through this quickly, but I want us now to put our eyes on this creation account in looking at if if we're to take it literally. How literally then do we understand it? Because we live in a day and age in which even many Christians do not take this concept of a day literally. Regardless of what we read here, they believe that there is theologically an open door for us to understand the term day to mean a long period of time, perhaps, even up to hundreds of millions, and maybe even billions of years. Um... They do this for only one reason. And that is because they feel compelled by science and scientists' uh, discoveries that would seem to indicate an old earth and an old universe and therefore say, science is not contrary to the Bible, so we're going to need to synthesize them. So here's how we can do that. We take this concept of a day, not as a 24-hour literal time period, but as a long period of time. And there are implications of this. Number one is that we, by doing this, we are allowing science to dictate how we interpret Scripture. And I'm going to tell you this. We do not do that in any other scientific discipline. Science never dictates. Anthropology does not dictate. If if we went by anthropology, we would say that God created man polytheistic. And eventually, out of polytheism, morphed this concept of monotheism. Belief in many gods, then gave way to the belief in one God. And I'm going to say, absolutely not. It was the belief in one God that gave way to the belief in many God's. So anthropology's uh, supposed scientific cultural discoveries are mistaken on this. All right? Um, We don't take psychology. And because psychology comes to certain uh, conclusions, such as the gay lifestyle or gay tendencies are genetic, um, that you are born with them, and as a result... You should not ever counsel someone against that type of lifestyle. If they were created that way, then you let them be. Now, you've read some stories, coming, many of them from California and, and wherever, in which uh, counselors ha- are, are in the process of being sued for counseling someone in a homosexual lifestyle that that's not natural and they need to get out of it. They are being sued. Okay, and it's being headed by psychiatrists I'm just telling you, science can never dictate to us how we interpret scripture and if we concede that in this area what will stop us from conceding that in all areas we now begin to elevate science which by the way, science is the combination of observation and man's interpretation Science will never contradict scripture because science, true science, is that which is true and scripture is God's truth as well. Truth cannot contradict truth. All truth is God's truth and it will never contradict one another. The problem, though, is when man gets a hold of this truth, he observes it and then he extends his interpretation on the observations his interpretation then leads him to conclude the earth is four and a half billion years old and the universe is 16 billion years old which by the way fluctuates regularly and, and what we're left then is deifying man's interpretations that's what science is science is, science is not just observation observation It is interpretation. Okay? You also have those sciences that um, are focused more on the application of scientific principles. Now, I want us to look at this. I want us to be very honest. And I believe as we are honest with this creation story that is not poetic and should not be taken figuratively we would therefore conclude that the word day should be taken literally as well now I'm sorry but before let me just make sure that uh, yeah we, we then need to, to ask ourselves the question is this does, should the word day be interpreted as a literal 24 hour day or as a a, an age, a long age there is what is called the day age theory which usually gives way to what's called progressive creation those who hold to the day age theory believe in progressive creation or they, they will believe in theistic evolution Perhaps there are others um, that are not as held to as strongly, but theistic evolution. Um, <clears throat> progressive creation is that in these big time spans that would constitute about a several hundred million years, uh, God created certain things. And in the next day, God created others. Now, the problem with this is that it's based on one observation, and I'm generalizing here, one observation, and that is man's or science's observations of the geologic column, the fossils. The fossils tell us, supposedly, that the earth is this old, that these creatures were formed first, and, of course, evolutionists, theistic, uh, excuse me, atheistic evolutionists would not use the word formed or created they just came into being they morphed if you will but at least progressive creationists would say God created these creatures and then in the next level he created these and then created these and we have progressive creation with man being created at the very end so to speak and and I say the very end and I'm going to draw something up here let's see something Because this has implications that I really hope I'm going to be able to get into. This is present day. Present day. This is the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John one. In the beginning was the Word. Okay? Actually, the Word was back there before the beginning. So, But in the beginning, there was the Word okay so uh i'm just gonna put the word here if this is for the earth's existence what i will call day zero or or zero and here 4.5 billion years later where would the cross be where should i put the cross in here should i put it here No, around about where your arrow part is. Okay, so the cross is probably right about right there. Right. Where's the creation of man? Is it somewhere back here? Mm -hmm. Where's the creation of man? Creation of man is just before the arrow or the slash mark there for the cross. Okay? And if we were to be really honest, we would probably not even be able to distinguish my line for present day with the line for the cross and the creation of man. Mm -hmm. All right? I'm going to come back to this. This is going to be very significant when we look at New Testament um, uses of the word the beginning. All right. There is something else, uh, apart from the day-age theory, that people uh, got a hold of. It was popularized in the 1800s. It's uh, at length discussed in Schofield's notes, his Bible, in the late 1800s. And it is what's called the gap theory. So I'm going to put over here the gap theory. The gap theory basically says that God originally created um, and he did all of these things, etc etc and eventually created Neanderthal man who was not, who, who, I don't think they would say, was man. It was corrupt and full of wickedness, and so God destroyed it. And at that point, when we read Genesis 1-2, and the Bible says, and the earth was formless and empty, that is the result of God destroying all of his creation, and he starts over day 1, day 2, day 3, etc. And those days are to be taken literally. But they would say the geologic column falls in this gap that we need to insert between verses 1 and 2 of Genesis chapter 1. This has some serious implications that the day-age theory has. And so what I'm going to do then is discuss what, what are... What is the problem with this day-age theory and therefore the gap theory that we really need to seriously consider? Okay? Um, Number one, if man was created here and everything that preceded it we would would fall into those six days of creation. At the very end of that sixth day of creation, what term did God use to describe all that he had created? It was good. It was good? good? He expands on that at the end of day six. It was very good. It
1: was awesome. as awesome. Okay.
0: Is that, is, that, is that the proper translation? Awesome. All right. I might accept that. Okay. God stepped back, looked at his creation, and said, It's awesome. It's yeah. very good. Now, this is the word good that's used here is not just, I really like this. This is God's stamp of approval. This, this has implications for paradise. When we look at, what is it, Matthew, is it 1928, where it uses the concept, palingenesia or the re-beginnings, that, that is what heaven come to earth is going to be like. It is going to be paradise restored. All right. But if we're going to hear, if we're going to believe that the geologic column expands hundreds of millions of years, What do we see in that geologic column that would run contrary to very good? The geologic column is being laid down all of these years, and then suddenly man is created. There are three things that run contrary to this concept of very good. Number one, there is death. Number two, there is destruction. There's hurricanes, there's floods... Th- these things that we would consider bad there is also disease they have found bones of animals that died that lived and died well before man apparently quote un- uh, end of quote apparently came on the earth and these fossilized bones as they have studied them have disease in them we would have to conclude then that before the fall there was death, destruction, and disease. Is this really very good? Can we truly say with God, very good? I don't believe that we can. And then when paradise is restored, is it restored with death, destruction, and disease? No. So what we begin to do, though, is since we have opened this door to embracing the truth so to speak, of the geologic column. Again, those are, those are facts. Those are things. Fossils are real things. I am imposing now my interpretation on this and saying, therefore, the geologic column comprises from the Cambrian to the present over 500, around 550 million years. And I'm going to call that into question. Was man there right here according to hundreds of millions of years ago was man there not according to the scientific view that says that the earth is four and a half billion years old we weren't there who was there god God was there this is what they call historic science no one was there but god man was not there and we are observing certain things imposing interpretations on these fossils etc cetera, etc cetera, coming to conclusions this is not precise science this is our best guess and as a matter of fact I don't think it's the best guess by any means but this is what science is coming this is what science is concluding and it's man's conclusions it's man's interpretations and I believe that the evidence can be interpreted very differently and in fact very well line up with our conclusions here of the literalness of Genesis 1. The second thing that we we want to see here as far as why, do, why should we take <clears throat> this concept of day and interpret it literally rather than figuratively. And, and can I say, if you were to turn to Genesis 2.4, you don't see the word in the NIV, but you do in a more literal translation my says in the account of the heavens and the earth the literal translation is in the day that the heavens and the earth were created and the word day should be taken to mean more than just a 24 hour time period okay those who believe in the day age theory take that and now superimpose it on genesis 1 I'm not going to say that the word day should always be translated or understood to mean a 24 hour time period it truly does not then why should we understand the word day in Genesis 1 to be a 24 hour time period in Genesis two four, it's used to mean a certain length of time actually all six days but I'm going to say that we are forced compelled to interpret the word day as a 24 hour time period for the following reasons number one the concept of very good number two because of the use of the term evening and morning evening and morning it is not just a poetic device He is literally describing what happens in a 24-hour time period. The earth is rotating and he just created the light and separated it so that he calls the light day and the night darkness and he says, concluding day one, evening and morning or night and day, evening and morning were the first day. So he is talking about a 24-hour rotation of the earth we should not understand this figuratively it's not used that way in scripture evening and morning always means a literal evening and a literal morning for us to interpret figuratively we have to superimpose that on this phrase and we're not given that license number three whenever we come across numbers with the word yom the word yom is the Hebrew word for day it is always and there are no exceptions to this by the way it is always to be understood day is always to be understood as a 24 hour time period Um, even when Jesus says I will rise on the third day Friday, he died. Friday was a 24-hour time period. Saturday was a day. That was a 24-hour time period. It wasn't just a long period of time. Sunday was a 24-hour time period. Now, it can be said that Jesus rose on the third day, meaning not three 24-hour time periods later, because that's not what the expression means, But the word day does mean that. Part of day one, all of day two, and part of day three. In a Jewish mindset, that's three days. Okay? When, whenever you see a word, a a number, either an ordinal number or a cardinal number, one or first, with the word day, in Hebrew, in the Old Testament, it is always to, it is always understood. And there, again, there's no exceptions to this. It's always understood as a literal 24-hour day. Yes, Cole. Is,
1: you know, Genesis 2:4 is that yam there? That's yam.
0: Yes. Uh, but it's, okay. It's but it has no number before it. It has oh, does not okay. have evening okay. and day bef- evening and morning before it.
1: Okay.
0: Um, none of these things that I'm writing up here apply to it. Okay. The word yam can mean like in the day that David. Um, ruled the uh, ruled Israel. I I, I I don't know if that's an actual phrase, but that would be a, a that would be an example in which a Hebrew writer could write referring to David's reign, which lasted forty years. In the day that David reigned, or in the days, um, not a twenty four hour time period, but a long period of time. But I'm saying, with regard to Genesis one, we cannot superimpose that concept of yom. Which on occasion can mean a long period of time, on Genesis one for these reasons. Alright? Number four, it says we have it says that God rested on the Sabbath. <clears throat> the Sabbath happened on what day? Seventh. The seventh day. Mm-hmm. Which, according to Hebrew, would be Saturday. God rested on the seventh day. This one right here, those who hold to a day-age theory would argue and say, God is still resting today. And so the Sabbath is a long period of time. Therefore, we should say that the six days of creation are six long periods of time. I'm going to call that into question. Number one, look, Look in your Bibles in Genesis 2-3 and ask the question, is God still resting today? Is he? If God is still resting, here's how Genesis 2-3 would read, and God blessed the seventh day, making it holy, because he is resting from all the work of creating that he had done. My Bible says God rested, past tense. It is not something that he's doing today. It's something that he did in the past. Actually, if we say that God is resting today, we are embracing, are you ready for this? We are embracing a deistic view of God. The view of God says that God created all things in the beginning and just like a watchmaker creates a watch and lets it run on its own. So God created everything, the universe, and is letting it rest on its own. This is the concept of deism. It is not atheism, but it certainly is not theism. <clears throat> deism uh, gives lip service to providence does not truly believe in it. It gives lip service to the Gospels uh, because the Gospels depict miracles. God intervening in the affairs of man with miracles. And it would certainly contradict passages such as in John chapter 5. Let me find the verse there and read it to you. In John chapter 5, Jesus says, My Father is always resting? No, 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 no. My Father is always at his work to this very day. And I too am working. In fact, he is saying this in contradistinction to this concept of the Sabbath, because it, apparently God himself is even working on the Sabbath. Ouch. Is God really resting still? He's at work. That means, do you, do you understand, if we embrace this concept that God is still resting today, this truly is a deistic concept because that means that God is not working. He's not doing miracles. Jesus could not have risen from the dead. That's the implication of what's being said here. Now, I am sure that people like you, Ross do not believe that. They do not believe that... God is resting in the sense that Jesus did not rise from the dead because he believes that. He's a Christian man that believes in long periods of time that I'm laying out here for you. Um, He does not believe in a 24-hour time period for days 1 through 6, but he does believe in the resurrection of Jesus. And herein is an internal contradiction. Though he would say that God is still resting, he clearly is not. And I believe that he misunderstands this concept of rest. Miracles are God's creative work. God is constantly creating things as far as healings and such, though he is not in the business of creating like he did in the six days of creation. We do not worship and serve a God who is inactive. All right. As you read Hebrews chapter four, it talks, they try to make that say that God is still at rest And I don't have time to get into it, but that is a misunderstanding of of Hebrews chapter 4. God has rested. I'm sorry, I don't have time. But God is resting. God is not resting. That is something that happened in the past. It does not happen today. And I would venture to say that if if God rested on one day and then... He constantly has intervened, that is, he is working in, we see this in Providence, in the affairs of man. It's fair to say that God could only have rested one day. He could not have rested more than that because he is constantly involved in the affairs of man. And he is at work and has been at work since the Sabbath rest. He rested one, if he rested one day, what are the implications of the other six? Exodus chapter 20 tells us what the implications of this are because God created the heavens and the earth in six days and filled them and therefore he rested on the seventh day he didn't rest on the seventh long period of time he rested on the seventh literal 24 hour day now I want to look at at, our time is already up Um, I want you to write these scripture verses down. These are very significant scripture verses that we find in the New Testament that say amen to what I just said here. Mark 10, verse 6. In the beginning of creation, God made them male and female.
1: In the beginning
0: of creation. Now, he's not saying that here is creation, and in the very beginning of the creation week, God created them male and female, because that would totally contradict. He, 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 he created the male and female at the end of the creation week. So Mark 10.6 should not be translated that he created, um, excuse me, that in the beginning of the creation week, God created the male and female. We cannot translate it that way. But in the beginning, way back here, of God's creation, this is God's creation here. As I look out my window, that is God's creation. At the very beginning of this creation, on day six, God made the male and female. If, that's, if we accept this four and a half billion years... Can we really say that in the beginning of creation? We're, on this continuum right here, if, if this were to stop right here, if God came back today, where did God make them male and female? At the end. At the end. I'm, I'm sorry, Jesus, you got that wrong. No, what you meant to say is at the end of creation, God made them male and female, not the beginning. We see this also in Luke eleven fifty to 51. In, in Luke 11 I'm, I'm sorry I am going to go over a few minutes today 11:50 50 and 51 it says therefore this generation will be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets that has been shed since the beginning of the world the beginning of the world was right here I think it's fair to say 6 days after God created the heavens and the earth could still be considered the beginning of creation no or the beginning of the cosmos. Now, it's this word, the beginning, is also translated the foundations. This phrase, um, the beginning of the world, is found in several places. We cannot translate the word cosmos as to mean civilization. At the beginning of the known world, or civilization. It can be translated, cosmos can be translated that way in some places, I'm not going to deny that, but it cannot mean that here because this phrase, the beginning of the world or the beginning of the cosmos, is always understood to mean this, not civilization, but God's creation. And so for that reason, instead of the word cosmos or universe, we have we we see the world, we see the word world, the creation of the world, the foundations of the cosmos. That means way back here. Not here, way back here. What happened way back here? Luke said, or Jesus is telling us, that's where the blood of the prophets started to be shed and has been shed to the present. Okay? All of this time, the prophet, the blood of the prophets have been shed from the beginning of the world. But this right here, according to 4.5 billion years, is the end even if jesus were to come back a thousand years from now compared to four and a half billion years we would still consider that the end not the beginning i mean this is important so from the blood of abel blood of abel was back here not not here according to four and a half billion years but the beginning of creation from the blood of abel to the blood of Zechariah, etc and then lastly in john chapter 8 verse 44 it says oops he referring to the devil he was a murderer from the beginning how was mm-hmm. satan a murderer from the beginning okay. first john 3 tells us by the way but how was satan a murderer from the beginning he entered Cain to kill Abel okay mm-hmm. and, Jen, and and first john 3 tells us that okay um so through Cain Satan is viewed as a murderer so we need to have that incident of Cain and Abel in mind here he referring to Satan was a murderer from the beginning not holding to the truth for there is no truth in him John uses the term the beginning in the beginning was the word John uses the term the beginning for back here not here
1: could that always mean sorry I
0: know you're Russian but could that also mean that he was always a liar or whatever a murderer how do you, how to, you mean well he was created I would believe Satan was created pure as a he wasn't a fallen he wasn't created a fallen angel he did fall right. uh, I don't know what we're going to look into this when we're talking about angels and demons but it appears that Satan fell shortly before man's fall we'll, we'll get into that but I, I wouldn't say that Satan was always a liar. He was a liar from the beginning. Okay, from from mankind. Okay, and again, this concept of the beginning cannot refer to this. This is not the beginning. It can't be. According to four and a half billion years for the age of the Earth, we would say man was created here, not here. And Scripture constantly tells us this is the beginning. This is where Adam and Eve were formed. This is where uh, Cain killed Abel, etc., etc. The Genesis. So, why is this so important? Two more minutes, I'm sorry. Genesis creation story is not poetic or figurative, but it's literal. We, We have to start there. Number two, we begin to discredit this concept of an historical Adam. And even though Adam is talked about in the New Testament, People will say, well, Jesus or Paul or whoever was accommodating his language and understanding of Adam to the people of his day. Or that God, through them, was accommodating this concept of a historical Adam, though the historical Adam didn't exist. Okay, So if we begin down this path of four and a half billion years for man, we begin eroding at this concept, begin eroding at this concept of an historical atom Um, number three the concept of paradise is altered that's with the phrase very good and lastly it accepts the geologic column or uh, scientists uh, conclusions about the geologic column as truth which by the way undermines the biblical flood and that would mean that the geologic column happened over hundreds of millions of years it did not happen as a result of the flood which I believe Um, And if we accept that conclusion of the geologic column that it comprises hundreds of millions of years the question is where did the flood fall where's the flood here because people are concluding there's no evidence for a flood. And so therefore the flood was local. Or, as some conservative scholars who embrace four and a half billion years, they would say it was a tranquil flood. Well, I'm sorry, a tranquil flood does not completely destroy the earth. It doesn't. It will certainly drown animals, but it's not just the animals that are in view in Genesis 6 and 7. When God destroyed the earth, He created a tremendous upheaval on the topology of the topography of the earth. Mountains, hills, everything. It was destroyed, dismantled. And a tranquil flood cannot do that. So there's no... The flood was not tranquil. Why on earth is the Hebrew word mabul and Greek word kataklusmos used specifically for Noah's flood, whereas other Hebrew and Greek words, excuse me, are used to describe lesser floods. Because they were, it was, cataclysm. Okay? All right. Um, I've already gone well over time. Uh, My apologies. Um, I'm touching on this because in our day, science is doing everything it can to undermine the Word of God. I do believe there is tremendous scientific evidence that supports a literal view of God's creation. Let me close in prayer. Father, thank you again for the power of your Word. Lord, I pray, burn the truths of your Word in our heart. May the world never be able to undermine the fact that you were there, you saw it, You didn't record it poetically or symbolically, but literally you are the creator. We are the creature. We have fallen and in desperate need of our God creator to rescue us. And I thank you that through Christ you have. He is the second Adam who came and by his righteousness makes us righteous. This is the righteousness revealed from heaven by faith. And I just ask you, Lord, that you would take these truths and plant them in our heart. And may the world or Satan never be able, who is the father of lies, never be able to undermine those truths. We trust in you and not man's interpretations. In Jesus' name, amen.